without doubt, one of the greatest contributions to the improvement in health outcomes for babies born preterm over the last 60 years has been the use of antenatal corticosteroids. In the 1960s, Dr. Graham Liggins, who is an obstetrician doing research at the National Women's Hospital in Auckland, hypothesized that the trigger for preterm birth didn't come from the mother, but came from the fetus. So it was his thought that some sort of glucocorticoid production or signal in the fetus actually triggered preterm birth. It was his hypothesis that administering corticosteroids to the mother or through the placenta would somehow shut off this glucocorticoid signal and prevent preterm birth. Now remember, this was in sheep. Now, that did not happen. (laughs) Preterm birth was not halted by the administration of steroids. But as a side note, as a side finding, he actually changed the world of obstetrics. Because he found that those little lambs that were born premature, who were exposed to antenatal corticosteroids, actually survived. Whereas the little lambs that did not receive corticosteroids died. Ligon's key observation was that a lamb born preterm after a glucocorticoid administration was alive and breathing and had lungs that did inflate. This conclusion was published in 1969, and he noted that, quote, partial aeration of the lungs could be observed in lambs born vaginally after receiving dexamethasone, end quote. Oh, back in the 60s, it was a little easier to do some trials. So Liggins reasoned, hey, if glucocorticoids can accelerate lung maturation in sheep, they should be able to do the same thing in human babies. And so, of course, he started a trial. This was the Liggins and Howie randomized trial that showed that babies exposed to dexamethasone in utero actually survived and had better chance of ventilation. This was, once again, a randomized placebo-controlled trial of antenatal corticosteroids, and it actually started recruiting patients in 1969. The first report of this trial, with outcomes from 282 women, was published in the journal Pediatrics in 1972. All right, podcast family, for any medical student, any resident, any attending, any nurse or midwife, whatever, who's interested in or currently doing research, don't get discouraged when you submit your manuscript and the journal rejects it because you're in good company. Let me give you some encouragement. Yep, this original manuscript by Liggins and Howie was originally submitted first to the Lancet, but the Lancet very quickly turned around and rejected it on the grounds that, quote, it lacked general interest and purpose, end quote. Wow, did they miss the boat on that one? (laughs) So they went on to the journal Pediatrics, where it was published in 1972. And of course, it changed the world of premature births and high-risk obstetrics. Nice job, Lancet. Nice job. In that original manuscript, Howie and Liggins did state that the effect of the medication seemed to be maximal after 24 hours after completing the medication and if birth happened within seven days after first initiation of dose. Okay, so 24 hours after the medication had been completed and if birth happened within seven days. That's where the original thought was that the medication had to be repeated every seven days up until 34 weeks. So when I was a resident, we gave women antenatal corticosteroids a full course 
every week. We had a whole spreadsheet, and without fail, every seven days, they were getting an entire repeat dose of steroids. That happened until the late 1990s. Of course, we now know that multiple doses of steroids leads to decreased birth weight, smaller head circumferences, and based on some studies, but not all, some potential of altered neurodevelopment. Of course, there's a big issue there, which has to do with the weeks, the gestational weeks at which that child was born, with a higher protective effect if the steroids are given in the extreme preterm period and the more neurodevelopmental uh, influence in an adverse way, oddly enough, if the child was born later, uh, closer to term. So it's weird, right? So you figure, well, of course, children born very premature. They're going to have altered neurodevelopment, and that's true. But steroids seems to be protective of that at younger gestational ages. And that probably has to do because, remember, that there is an effect of steroids at reduction of intraventricular hemorrhage. So all to say, repeat course of steroids has been linked in some studies, but not all, to poor neurodevelopmental outcomes. But when you stratify for gestational ages, it's not what you think. Yes, children born premature have poor neurodevelopmental outcomes in general, but it's actually reduced in the risk if they're exposed to corticosteroids compared to those not who, uh, who received antinocorticosteroids. And they tend to have a higher risk of neurodevelopmental delay when they receive steroids closer to term, right? That's been the whole stink, the whole debate and debacle about giving steroids in the late preterm interval. In other words, between 34 weeks and zero days to 36 weeks and six days, if somebody gets steroids there and then the child goes on to, to term and does not deliver preterm, the good news is they get a term. The bad news is they may have some sort of genetic imprinting, some epigenetic change that may lead to poor neurodevelopmental outcomes in the future. So if you're going to give steroids in the late preterm interval, they should highly be at risk of delivery under 37 weeks, just like they were in the ALPS trial. Okay, this is officially like my longest intro into an episode ever, because this is just the intro. <laughs> All to say, we don't give corticosteroids weekly anymore. We don't do repeat courses. Ah, but ACOG does allow for one single rescue dose. I'm going to get into that because that is the topic here, not repeat courses because we don't do that anymore, but ACOG does allow a single rescue course. I'm going to explain that in a minute. I'm sure you already know, but we have to remind ourselves of that. But there's a new publication that just got accepted and is out in press. This was accepted in the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology on March the 4th. We're taping this on Sunday, March the 5th. Yes, we do have a life, but sometimes we tape stuff on the weekend. And this is looking specifically at rescue doses, because even though it's put into the guideline, the question is, is that single rescue dose, is that linked to some potential for altered neurodevelopment? Should we just give that single course of steroids and then leave them alone? Or should we follow that guideline that currently exists about rescue dosing when applicable? We're going to get into all of this because that is the focus of this episode. And now that I've gone in this long-winded intro... Let's get on with our podcast. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. As our source of reference, we'll be summarizing new data that just was accepted on March the 4th, 2023, and is available online ahead of print as of today, March the 5th, 2023. This is out of the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology, but not the gray journal, it's the pink journal. That's the AJOG MFM. So it's the MFM version of the American Journal of OBGYN. The title is Rescue Dose of Antenatal Corticosteroids, Children's Neurodevelopment, and Salivary Cortisol After Threatened Preterm Labor, a 30-month follow-up study. All right, podcast family, let's just state the obvious. Antenatal corticosteroids work. I mean, they prevent newborn death and they help that child aerate. Thank goodness for antenatal corticosteroids. And that's exactly what the Cochrane Review from December of 2020 stated. I mean, in their last review, examining all of the evidence, they concluded, of course, that a single course of antenatal corticosteroids to accelerate fetal lung maturation in women at risk of preterm birth has value. Treatment with antenatal corticosteroids reduces the risk of perinatal death, neonatal death, and severe RDS, and it likely also reduces the risk of intraventricular hemorrhage. So corticosteroids is a yes. No one's questioning that. The issue at hand here is repeat dosages. Now, we just mentioned we don't do the weekly repeat dosages, but we do do a repeat dose called a rescue dose. Oh, and listen to this little tidbit because it really is a testimony of just how corticosteroids just revolutionized the world of premature birth. Back when systematic reviews and meta-analyses were still being fine-tuned, I mean, we had better techniques of eliminating bias and, and systematic reviews were really coming up in terms of their prominence. The UK Cochrane Center back in 1992 and then subsequently, the Cochrane Collaboration, the Cochrane Systematic Review, the, the, what we have now is the Cochrane Database, they adopted as their logo the image of the first meta-analysis of seven randomized trials of antenatal corticosteroids. So if you Google uh, Cochrane Systematic Review, you get that little circle with the little lines going through. That is the meta-analysis of antenatal corticosteroids. Is that wild or what? I mean, Cochrane adopted just the grid of data points as their logo. That's how impactful corticosteroids is, not just for obstetrics and pregnancy, but really for medicine as a whole. I mean, it's a win for medicine. In ACOG's committee opinion, number 713, from August 2017, the title of which is Antenatal Corticosteroid Therapy for Fetal Maturation. I mean, it's right there in print. 
It states, a single repeat course of antenatal corticosteroids should be considered in women who are less than 34 weeks of gestation, who are at risk of preterm delivery within seven days, and whose prior course of antenatal corticosteroids was administered more than 14 days previously. However, rescue course corticosteroids could be provided as early as seven days from the prior dose if indicated by the clinical scenario. Oh, and just to be complete and as a reminder, don't forget that the lower limit of when steroids can be attempted has moved down. That was in September 2021 with ACOG's practice advisory stating that if it's part of shared decision making and if neonatal resuscitation is planned, then you can consider giving steroids as early as 22 weeks and zero days. Remember, that's part of shared decision making and that came out again in September 2021. This brings us to the new study that's been accepted for publication. You see, its focus isn't on repeat courses of steroid because nobody does that, nor is it just giving an index course in the late preterm interval because that was the ALPS trial. This is specifically looking at that rescue course of steroids. In other words, those who've received an initial course of steroids and then received another rescue course according to the guidelines. These authors sought to answer the question whether neurodevelopmental outcomes were negatively affected after receiving a rescue dose or doses of antenatal corticosteroids compared to those only receiving the initial course. These authors also evaluated and measured cortical levels of the infants that received antenatal corticosteroid dosages at several points up to 30 months of age. Remember, this is 30 months of age, so just about two and a half, just prior to three years of life. Now, why the salivary cortisol thing? Well, remember that salivary cortisol is an indirect marker of neurodevelopmental stress or physiological stress. So if they've got higher levels of cortisol and they're under three, I mean, what kind of stress can they be having? <laughs> so the idea is that it's something innate, something carried over from, uh, from in utero exposure. So salivary cortisol at 36 months or below is considered a marker of, of higher psycholo psychological and physiological stress that has been linked to poorer neurodevelopmental outcomes down the road. Now, before we get into the study design and the results, the big disclosure here. Yeah, not huge numbers yet again, because remember that this isn't just those exposed to steroids, that's a greater pool, but those who received the steroids and then received that rescue. So the study followed just 110 infant mother pairs who underwent a spontaneous episode of threatened preterm labor until the children were 30 months old, and this was regardless of their gestational age at birth. Now, among the participants, 61 received only the initial course of corticosteroids. That was the no rescue group, while 49 participants required at least one rescue dose of corticosteroids. This was the rescue dose group. The follow-up was carried out in three different time frames. One, at preterm labor diagnosis, then when the children were at age six months, and then when the children turned 30 months of age, corrected age for prematurity. Neurodevelopment was assessed using the Ages and Stages Questionnaire, which was the third edition, and the salivary samples were collected for cortisol level determination, as we already discussed. Now, I have to say, I don't really like questionnaire-based studies, but when you're talking about infants, I mean, these are legitimate, validated scales. And I wish there was a better way, a more objective way to assess this, but the Age and Stages Questionnaire is a valid scale, and we'll just leave it at that.
Well, the results are interesting. At follow-up, the rescue dose group showed lower problem-solving skills by age 30 months compared with the no rescue group. Secondly, the rescue therapy group demonstrated higher salivary levels at 30 months of age compared to those who only received the index course. And thirdly, a dose response effect was found, indicating that the higher number of rescue doses given, the lower the problem-solving skills and the higher the salivary cortisol levels they showed at 30 months of age. So the authors concluded that the findings reinforced the hypothesis that additional doses provided after the initial course of antinocorticosteroids may have long-term effects on offspring's neurodevelopment and glucocorticoid metabolism because of an inherent stress response. Now, the, here's the big key here. This has to be replicated in other studies, but it is a cautionary tale about just reflexingly giving mothers and therefore the children rescue doses without having some forethought. I want to tell you how what I, my personal perspective is based on the data. Remember, this is my anecdotal interpretation of the data, just with that clarification. But I want to tell you what I do coming up next because it's not so easy as, well, they've had a course of steroids, they're threatening to go into labor again, and it's been now eight days so it's greater than seven, and I'm going to hit them again because there's something that we have to consider here that's key when we're talking about rescue courses under 34 weeks. I'm going to tell you that coming up next. One of the main factors to keep in mind when administering or considering to administer a rescue dose of steroids is when that initial course of steroids was given. So let's do the obvious, okay? No sooner than seven days, preferably 14 days from the first. That, that's fine. That's the ACOG and SMFM guideline. I'm not messing with that. But something else that should go into your, your factoring in this decision is the gestational age of when those steroids were given. In other words, how likely was it that those steroids had an effect? And that answer is based entirely on when they were first given. So if I give steroids, because I'm thinking that a 26-weeker is going to eminently deliver, uh, and she completes those steroids, and then two weeks later threatens to go into labor again, now at 28 weeks, I'm likely going to give them another course of steroids. Does that make sense? Because I can't guarantee that that, that gestational age, that, that early gestational age, that the full effect will be there just based on naturally maturity. So one of the factors that I use, again, my personal take looking at the data Uh, one of the things that we should consider is when that initial course of steroids was given, not just in terms of seven days prior or 14 days prior, but what were the actual weeks? I hope you all see how that's an entirely different picture than when the initial course of steroids were given, say, at 22 weeks, and then the patient stalls and then represents again at 33 weeks with another bout of threatened preterm labor. It's been seven days. But you see how that's a different issue? Is that steroid necessary or not? I'm not answering that. I'm just saying in my perspective, I like would not give another dose of steroids then uh, because back in the original uh, recommendation, steroids were not even given if they had, for example, ruptured membranes after 32 weeks. Now, that's changed, of course, but my, my point is, is that if you take a look at gestational age when the index course of steroids were given, that should really matter rather than just saying everyone gets a rescue course if you're more than seven or 14 days within 14 days and you threaten to go into labor again, you're automatically going to get a dose. I think there has to be some forethought in here because this new publication from AJOGMFM 
the pink journal, just raise a cautionary tale. I mean, we do know that repeat exposures of antenatal corticosteroids, and these are good doses, may have the potential for some adverse neurodevelopmental outcome. So yes, you can be too conservative. Uh, it's like you can be too liberal in your medicine. The idea is to be right in the middle, right? So sometimes more is not better. Sometimes more can be dangerous. Once again, the study does need to be replicated with much more mother-infant pairs, but it does raise some caution, and there's plenty of other data that repeat courses of steroids may have some poor neurodevelopmental outcomes uh, later on down the road. Before we end the podcast, if you have thought to yourself while listening to this narrative, well, if getting antenatal corticosteroids is a necessity, I mean, we know it helps, but the standard dose seems to potentially be linked to some poor neurodevelopmental outcomes, then why don't we meet at the middle? Why don't we still give antenatal corticosteroids, but drop the dose? Well, someone did think of that, and that trial showed some disappointing results. This was just released in August 2022. As the authors stated in their background section of this manuscript, antenatal bendamethasone is recommended before preterm delivery to accelerate fetal lung maturation. However, reports of growth and neurodevelopmental dose-related side effects suggest that the current dose, 12 milligrams plus 12 milligrams, 24 hours apart, might be too high. So we therefore investigated whether a half dose would be non-inferior to the current full dose for preventing respiratory distress syndrome. Cutting the dose of antenatal betamethasone in half was not equivalent to receiving the full dose of antenatal betamethasone when it came to needing to treat respiratory distress in very preterm infants. Those were the findings from the beta dose trial. That's B-E-T-A-D-O-S-E. The beta dose trial. Among more than 3,000 neonates in the intent to treat analysis, 20% of newborns in the half dose group required exogenous intertracheal surfactant within two days of birth, as compared to 17% of those in the full dose criteria. This failed to meet the criteria for non inferiority, so it was stopped saying it was not the same thing as full dose. The authors concluded, quote, our results do not support practice changes towards antenatal betamethasone dose reduction, end quote. This publication came out in The Lancet on August the 20th, 2022, and the full title is Neonatal Outcomes for Women at Risk of Preterm Delivery Given Half-Dose Versus Full-Dose of Antenatal Betamethasone, a Randomized Multicenter Double-Blind Placebo-Controlled Non-Inferiority Trial. Well, that's where we are as of March 2023. Yes, definitely administer that initial course of corticosteroids under 34 weeks. But remember, part of giving steroids in the late preterm interval is part of shared decision-making, and that criteria should follow the explicit criteria laid out in the ALPS trial. But under 34 weeks, when we're talking about this issue of rescue steroids, definitely involve the patient as shared decision-making because even though it's still part of guidelines, right, preferably 14 days from the initial course, but as early as seven days in the appropriate clinical scenario, um, we really have to consider whether that rescue course of steroids is all that vital. Part of that decision-making, of course, is understanding where the patient is in the overall gestational age when she received that initial course of steroids.
All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. We have summarized a soon-to-be-released publication from AJOG, not the Gray Journal, but the Pink Journal, that's AJOG MFM, covering this new study, small numbers, but still kind of cautionary tale of repeat corticosteroids in terms of neurodevelopmental outcomes up to 30 months of age. I gave you the source earlier in the podcast, so if you need to go back, then you have to rewind and listen because we're done. All right, podcast family. As always, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community. Stay in touch. Send us a couple of messages. Keep us encouraged. And we'll do our part to keep you evidence-based. We'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.